About three miles away from where we are this morning, there's a park. Uh, Many of you are very familiar with it, Carson Park. And if you've lived in Eau Claire for any length of time, you've probably uh, been there numerous times. If you've just moved to Eau Claire, odds are it won't be long before you get a chance to go there. But I remember a lot of things about Carson Park. There's football fields, there's softball fields. Um, there used to be this old rocket ship on the playground. If, if uh, you're an Eau Claire native, you probably remember that. It was a classic 70s or 80s child death trap. Sharp, uh, sharp edges and, and uh, too high off the ground. They've replaced it now with this Everything that's plastic, and you couldn't hurt yourself if you tried. You know, nothing's above four feet. But the the rocket ship was an Eau Claire original. There was a a logging museum. Eau Claire, being on the the confluence of two rivers, was uh, an important destination for loggers and lumberjacks about 150 years ago. And so they had this logging museum where you could go in and and take a look um, what it would look like uh, for these camps of lumberjacks to come together and, and what their work was like and what their lives, lives were like. There was a, a one-room schoolhouse that I remember in third grade our class went to for a day to get an idea of what it would be like to go to school in a one-room schoolhouse about 120 years earlier. There's this uh, train, this, this um, replica train that's about one-eighth the size of a normal train that you can go and take your kids and it goes on this 100 meter loop and they they pull the whistle and it's it's really great fun for the kids and there's all these things about Carson Park that I remember but there's two different figures two different people that have statues in Carson Park one is a mythological folk hero, and one was a very real person. The first was Paul Bunyan. There's this 12-foot statue of Paul Bunyan right in front of the logging museum, and he has this this blue sidekick pet ox named Babe, Babe. and uh, you know, and when when we were there, when we were eight years old, you try to climb up on Paul Bunyan and see if you could uh, see if you could uh, climb up on his arms. And, and he was this huge, larger-than-life figure. I remember hearing stories and, and seeing cartoons about Paul Bunyan when I was a kid, how he could chop down a dozen trees with a single swing of an axe. He was this mythological figure that was larger than life, but everybody knew that, uh, that it was just a story. On the other side of the park, in front of the baseball, baseball museum, there's a a statue of Hank Aaron. And Hank Aaron is of one of the most famous baseball players. He's in the Hall of Fame right now. But when he was 18 years old in 1952, his first season of professional baseball in the minor leagues, he played in Eau Claire. He played for the, the Eau Claire Bears. That was a, a minor league team for the Boston Braves at that time. And he showed up to Eau Claire with nothing but a suitcase and a baseball glove. And I remember hearing stories. I had a fifth grade teacher who played in the minor leagues with Hank Aaron. And he would tell us stories about him. 
And it wasn't that long ago that you could still hear stories from other people who had either seen the games or, or talked to people who had seen Hank Aaron play. And so you have these two figures. One, this mythological folk hero, Paul Bunyan. And the other was a very real historical figure. Okay. And as a child, I knew the difference between the two, the myth and the reality. Well, for the passage that we're going to look at today in Jonah, it's in the Bridge Bibles, I believe 644. There's some people that will say, well, Jonah is just a myth. They'll say, come on, it's a story about a fish swallowing a man and then three days later spitting him up on the ground. Come on. But there was somebody who grew up about three miles away from Jonah's hometown, Jesus Christ in Galilee. And when Jesus refers to the story of Jonah, he refers to it as historical fact, a real person and events that really happened. And so that's where I stand. And as we look at Jonah, it's one of my, uh, I think, the best short stories in, in all of Scripture. It's one of my favorite uh, short stories, period. And as I first started taking a look at this, especially when I was younger, I would get so preoccupied with the fish. Thinking about, you know, trying to find some, some evidence of this, this fish that could swallow a man and keep him alive for three days without the, uh, with enough air and without the sea pressure killing him. And get trying to preoccupied with trying to find stories about, well, maybe there was this whaler a couple hundred years ago that was found alive in the belly of a fish or something like that. And I was just get preoccupied with the detail of the fish. But I've come to realize this story is not really about a fish. It's not even primarily about Jonah. This story is about God and his grace and how he works. Now, being a short story, I think it's best read front to back. And so that's what I plan on doing. And don't worry, we'll get out of here by 1.30, no problem. I'm just kidding. You will also find in your program, there's, there should be a blank sheet. Now, it doesn't have any notes on it yet. Don't worry. Some of you are note takers, like my wife. We'll get some notes on there. Uh, circumstances being what they are when, uh, when Jerry and Sue uh, made a last-minute um, plans to be with their family in Seattle this weekend, uh, he sent me a text on Thursday. And later on, David had, had asked me if I had any, any notes for the, uh, the talk this morning, and I said, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about, period. And so I didn't have any, anything to write down for the notes. But the first thing I would have you write down is this. As I just mentioned, this is not a fish story. It's not even a story about Jonah primarily. This is a story about God. 
So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And this has a great message for Israel at the time. There's a great message for the church today. And there's a great message uh, as a personal application. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now this passage actually gives us as much background as, as we'll need to know about Jonah because he is also referred to elsewhere in scriptures. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, I believe we have a, a slide here. 2 Kings 14, 23 and 25. This is a time period. It's about 790 to 750 B.C. Jonah is a prophet in Israel during the reign of an Israelite king named Jeroboam II. And in 2 Kings 13 and 14, there's this series of Israelite kings that actually do evil. And there's this refrain that's, that's repeated. They do evil in the sight of the Lord. And the next one comes and does evil. And the next one comes. And in spite of all their wickedness, this is a time when, when the Lord actually blesses Israel and allows them to expand some of their borders. So it says in the 15th year of, this is one of the previous kings, uh, Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel, uh, became king in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the previous sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the borders of Israel in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amity, the prophet from Gath Heifer. Okay? So we're able to, to pinpoint kind of the context in history of when Jonah is prophesying. Gath Heifer is in Galilee. It's about three miles away from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And during this time, there were two great world powers. Nineveh was in Assyria. And Assyria was about 500 miles to the northeast. The other great world power was Egypt to the southwest. And so Israel was right in between these two great world powers. And you can imagine that that's oftentimes a precarious place to be. But during this time, even though Assyria was a world power, they were experiencing some famine. They were experiencing some infighting. And so they were actually weakened. And Israel was able to expand their borders to the north. Assyria was, was, had this reputation for cruelty, for wickedness against Israel in particular. And so here God comes and he, he tells Jonah, Hey, even though your enemy is weakened, I want you to go prophesy to them, call out against them so that they might repent. And, I, and the Lord would turn his wickedness away from them. And Jonah wants anything to do but this. So con- continuing on. So he found a, a so he went down to Joppa. This is a, a port in Israel. Found a ship that was going to Tarshish. Paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship 
was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it. And they threw everything overboard, all the the trinkets that picked up at the duty-free shop for Junior on the way home. I mean, they threw it all overboard. They were trying to, to lighten this ship as much so it wouldn't sink. But Jonah had gone down below into the hold of the ship and, fo- and fell fast asleep. So the captain approached him, woke him up, and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. There's many sailors on the ship. They're from all over. They all have different gods that they're worshiping. The captain is grasping at straws. He's thinking, everybody else has prayed and the storm is still going on. You call out to your God. Maybe he will save us. Verse 7, each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And from what people are you? Which, coincidentally enough, are the same questions my future father-in-law asked me when I started today, my wife, Holly. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became exceedingly frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Verse 11. So they said to him, what should we do that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea had become increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they're trying to do everything in their power to get back to land. They don't want to be responsible for throwing Jonah overboard. They thought his blood would be on their hands. And they do everything to try to get back to shore. Ultimately, none of that works. And so as a last resort, they finally pick up Jonah as he had instructed them. And they threw him into the sea. Verse 15. And the sea stopped raging. For the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. There's a lot of irony in this story, but one of the first things that I notice is that all these pagan sailors are worshiping God while God's prophet is running away. This is not a story about a fish or even primarily about Jonah, but this is a story about God. 
chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the stomach of the fish. Now, each language has idioms, expressions, to describe or explain things that oftentimes we're uncomfortable talking about directly. Death is one of those. In English, we have idioms for death. Um, Passed away. Bought the farm. There's a dozen of them. Hebrew has the same, uh, some of the same idioms. Different ones that we won't necessarily catch, but they're they're sprinkled all throughout chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord in 2.2. He said, I called out from my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I crawled out, I called, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. That's one. You heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep. That's another one. Into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. That's another, another Hebrew idiom for death. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. The water encompassed me to the point of death. The great depth engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. That's another one. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with with its bars was around me forever. Another reference to death. 2.6 But you, O Lord, have brought me up from the pit. While I was fainting away, I remembered you, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it spit Jonah up onto the dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it that which I will tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was on the, the Tigris River. It was about 500 miles journey from the Mediterranean Sea. And Nineveh was founded after an Assyrian god, their fish god, Nineveh. And so they've experienced two famines in a period of seven years. They've experienced civil war and infighting. There was a total eclipse of the sun that was dated back to about 763. You know, for NASA, they can, they can go back and pinpoint just as a matter of uh, astronomy and mathematics. So there's all these things going on in Assyria and Nineveh at this time. And here comes Jonah to the city of Fish with this incredible story of how God saved him through a fish. I happen to think that our God has an incredible sense of irony and humor. But all these things in sequence have a profound impact on them. 
So chapter 3, verse 4, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and he said, In forty days Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let man call on God earnestly. To each may tr- that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is not a fish story. It's not a story primarily about Jonah. This is a story about God and his grace. Chapter 4. However, it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry because of God's grace. Jonah actually resented it. You see, earlier God had shown his grace to Israel that even though they were evil during this time period, even though they were worshiping idols, their borders were still expanding. And now Jonah, just like me many times, has the gall to resent God for his grace shown to others. 4.2 He prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, was this not what I said would happen when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled. For I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. God, this is what I knew you were going to do. Why did you take me through this exercise of of running away? And so that even though Jonah has, has turned around and gone to Nineveh, he still hasn't completely come around to God's bigger picture. And if you're anything like me, You're right there sometimes too in the Jonah story. Times when I'm petty and resent things that God does in his grace. If you're anything like me, you're right there many times as well. Four, three. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. He's getting a little dramatic here. 
I have a four-year-old. I, I know what drama is, and I think Jonah is getting a little dramatic here. Verse 4, for the Lord says, do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. He made a shelter for himself and sat under the shade until he, so that he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be the shade over his head to, de- to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and the plant withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying again, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow up. And it came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left. Probably a reference to uh, children, as well as many animals. This is not a story about a fish. This is not a story primarily about Jonah. This is a story about God and his grace that extends to all nations and his mercy that he offers. I'm there many times with Jonah with petty differences about what I think God should be doing about running away from God. Perhaps you're there too at times. This was a great message for Israel during its time. Number one, it showed that God's grace extended beyond Israel. His offer for mercy extended beyond their own country. They had this us versus them mentality. And ironically in the story, all the thems started worshiping God and all the uses were fleeing. And so it was a, a powerful rebuke to their nationalistic view of God and his grace. For our church today, We have the same message that God's grace and mercy extends to all people everywhere. And it's a powerful call to the church of Jesus Christ to be involved in being a part of that, taking his gospel, living his gospel in every country, in every, wor- in, every country in this world. It's also a call for us to repent when we put God 
in a box, whether it's a nationalistic box, whether it's a political box, whether it's some sort of idea that we have of God that puts us in the framework of an us versus them mentality. It could be a particular denomination, political party, you name it. We have the same things as a church often to repent of. But the story of Jonah was also a great encouragement to the church. You see, in the Gospels, Jesus refers to this repeatedly as a foreshadow of his eventual resurrection from the grave. And in Matthew 12, this is one such example. The, uh, the Pharisees are, are following him, and, and he's already performed many miracles, and, and they repeatedly call out for him to do another sign. In Matthew twelve thirty nine and 40, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you, another one. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a, mir- a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So from Jesus' ministry, he has always pointed back to Jonah. The fact that he was for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish as a picture of his eventual resurrection. And in fact, in, uh, in the early church, in the first couple centuries, in Rome in particular, there's uh, catacombs, which were some of the burial grounds for the early church. And one of the pictures that they used to help show the resurrection of Christ. You see, if, when you're talking about his death, it's, the symbol of the cross is, is easy to picture. But when you're talking about his resurrection from the grave, it's a little bit more difficult to think of a symbol that communicates that. Do you try to draw a, an empty cave? I mean, it, it's tougher graphically to portray that. One of the symbols that they used, and that is found... Um, in the Roman catacombs is the picture of a fish spitting out a man. It's the story of Jonah. Because it's a picture, it's a symbol that Christ referred to for his resurrection. So, so the story of Jonah has been an encouragement to the church from the earliest times through today. And on a personal level, this story has a personal application for each of us. That no matter where you are in the Jonah story, if you've turned your back, if you're fleeing away from God, if you've told God like Jonah told God, I quit, I am done, I'm leaving. There's nothing that any of us can do to foul up our lives so much that we still can't cry out to God and he still can't come and rescue us. Jonah 2, 6. But you, O Lord, have brought up my life from the pit. And he does the same thing today 
as he did in Jonah's time. Secondly and lastly, I've said repeatedly, this is not a story about a fish. This is not a story about Jonah. This is a story about God. Just as I mentioned, I'd often been preoccupied with the fish. Today, there's things in each of our lives that we get preoccupied with. It could be a job. It could be a uh, career decision. It could be where we live, um, some hardship that we're facing. And it's easy to get preoccupied with the details of that particular circumstance. But I'd, I'd encourage you to think this, or think about this. That whatever that detail is, it's not primarily about the job or where you're going to live or the hardship you're facing. It's not even primarily about you or me. It is primarily a story of how God can work. When we trust him, when we trust what his son has done on the cross for our sins, rising from the grave. The story of Jonah that was a a foreshadow of his resurrection. So in, in that blank sheet for notes, in addition to the fact that uh, what I had mentioned earlier, this is not a fish story, this is not a Jonah story, this is a God story. Second thing is I would just draw a fish in your best artistic representation spitting out a man. And then below that, I would think of one circumstance in your life that you're dealing with. And I would write out, this is not a, and insert that into the blank, this is not a story of some hardship at work, some decision of where I'm going to live. This is not even a story about, and then insert your name in right after that. But this is a story about God and how he can work, his grace. Jonah is a God story. His grace extends to all nations. It extends to all people through his son, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father God, Thank you for the fellowship that we have through your son. Thank you through, uh, for the fellowship we have through this church. Lord, we pray, um, first of all, uh, repenting of, of so many of the times that, uh, that I've put you in a box, that I've uh, taken an us versus them mentality, just as Jonah had. Lord, I see my, myself and my own faults in him through this story. I'm convicted by that. But I pray uh, you just continue to grow in this church a heart for taking the message of your son into every country um, through missions and through other, just being a part of what you're doing throughout the entire world. And Lord, I pray that you help us recognize that not to get preoccupied with all of the details in our lives, that it's not necessarily about the details or it's not even about us, that it's a, a story of about how, 
of, about how you are working. Lord, I pray for the faith to recognize that, to see your grace, to see the grace offered by your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.